The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking. I am Tim Jackson, flying solo once more this week. So happy to be back at it with you right now. You are hearing this on February 8th or later, and you are just about to see or are already seeing the brand new PitcherList 7 website has launched. It's got a ton of stuff that you are all going to want to get into so quickly if you have not already. If you haven't seen the trailer, we've got StatCast data. We've got league average for every stat. We've got something uh, that we're all excited about in that sense, I think. Because we've been talking about that for a long time in the Discord. Uh, Ultimately, it takes a lot of work and time to really put together. We finally got it. We've got rolling graphs. We've got StackCast leaderboards. Revamped team and player pages. Uh, There are also some new perks to PL Plus. Projections, an auction draft calculator, the customizable article feed. Custom player tables, an exclusive podcast hosted by Nick, player rankings, all sorts of new pieces getting ready to come out for the whole site, whether you've got PL Plus or not. We've got a general baseball section we're launching and and really emphasizing this coming season, hopefully uh, gathering and growing more news about the league and the game in a way that you've come to expect for fantasy coverage from the site that would apply to any of the game's biggest stories, much like this podcast does for you and we are just so so thrilled to be offering it all we're so so thrilled that you've been here this long and stuck along for the ride and that you continue on this ride with us again stat cast data is going to be huge league averages for every stat is going to be huge you're going to be able to see benchmarks for players easily pull it up have it ready to go it's so exciting not not just from like an analysis standpoint from from a curiosity standpoint for Anybody, for anybody listening, anybody who likes baseball, to be able to have a benchmark and be able to immediately understand just how good somebody has been against what the league average player has been doing. It's just, it's like thrilling stuff. I could go on about that forever, but we've got more things to talk about. You'll have plenty of time to explore the new site very shortly. And I know we've been focused big time on labor lately, and understandably so, because that's really at the center of the game, right? We have a lockout that was instituted by the owners uh, weeks ago, weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And it's hard not to focus on that. We're not getting free agent transactions. Nobody's getting traded. We're not seeing teams shuffle up their their depth, their depth charts. We're not seeing anything really except for maybe some minor league deals 
for guys who weren't on 40-man rosters at the end of last year. And we'll get to that in a little bit. I know we've focused on it a lot the last couple of episodes because it has been the thing to focus on. But I do want to, in the vein of kicking off PL7 with so much fun and and perspective things to look at and get ready to enjoy over the coming season, because there will be a season at some point, I wanted to look at somebody who's going to contribute to that fun, which is Seiya Suzuki, the Japanese import from Nippon Professional Baseball. He was posted shortly before the lockout was instituted, and his window is 30 days to sign, right? Once he's posted, sign a major league contract. And we are about nine days into that window. That window froze when the lockout was uh, put into effect by the owners. And when we come out of it, we're going to have three weeks for Seiya Suzuki to make a decision in terms of where he will play and start his major league career. So some things to get into a little bit about with Suzuki in the event you are less familiar with him or in the event that you would have been more familiar with him by the time February 8th of this year rolled around, but you're not because of the lockout. So one of the things about Suzuki is that his calling card is a lack of weaknesses. He's got this all-around game that really, truly is going to be difficult to find some weaknesses in. And he's 27 year old, 27 years old, so he's coming in right at prime, right? Right at potential peak years. Uh, we're not going to find an Achilles heel like we would in a lot of imports, or, you know, if there's doubt, maybe there's less of it because he's a five time all star. He's won five gold gloves. He had an OPS over one last year. He walks as much as he strikes out. And that's just the quick rundown. If we look at what the projection systems are expecting out of Suzuki as a 27-year-old for coming over to MLB when he signs, they are rosy. And consider that these these projections generally give us the 50th percentile, right? Like the median outcome, the, the down the road, in the middle outcome for potential possibilities for a player for the coming year. So we'll start with ATC housed on Fangraphs. They have... Uh, ATC is Ariel Cohen's projection system. It, it aggregates all of the projection systems and, and kind of weighs them differently and sees maybe where some gaps are. So it does really well in ultimately finding what a player will provide for a team in a given year. And ATC has Suzuki slashing 258, 345, 471 for an 816 OPS. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pakoda, baseball prospectuses, projection system has him slashing 273, 382, 498 for an 850 OPS. Even better. Now, look, I can tell you those things are pretty good and even better, but again, like I was mentioning a couple of minutes ago with the league average context and being able to see those benchmarks, which you'll be able to see on PL, a very short order if you haven't seen them already, Only 50 qualified hitters last year in all of Major League Baseball had an OPS of 816 or better. Only 33 had an OPS of 850 or better. If we want to focus on just batting average, which, I mean, we can do, and we know that batting average isn't the end-all, be-all it used to be, but we know it's relevant, right? This is actually, to, to take a digression for a quick moment, I was reading... Um, you know, as you, as you do, as one does um, in becoming kind of or attempting to become well-rounded, 
uh, right? I'll, I'll avoid the self-compliment. But in attempting to become well-rounded, you read as many people as possible to get as many perspectives as possible to ultimately see how you might shape your understanding of the game. So I was reading, it was The Athletic, and it was, um, it was Eno Saris and, oh my goodness, why am I going to blank on her name right now? You can hear me typing. Lindsay Adler, good lord. Uh, I was just thinking of it, and I went blank as I went to say it, of course, naturally, as as the world does, as one does. So reading a piece that they both wrote together, answering questions from fans about the degree of advanced stats one should follow. And Lindsay had this really great perspective on triple slash lines. Like, no, batting average isn't the same thing it might have meant to, you know, our parents or grandparents. But they're all friends, Batting average and OBP and slugging percentage, they're all friends. And we shouldn't kick out one friend, is what Lindsay Adler said, just because they're not as hot as the other ones. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, and I think it really helps. It just, it, you know, it really gives its due to everybody, right? It gives, it gives a benefit of the doubt of like, no, there's value here. And it depends on just the context we're talking about. So I can talk to you about the OPS uh, projected for Suzuki by a couple of these systems, but his batting average in each of them, only 258 for ATC, and only is really an, uh, a misnomer there. It's That's a good batting average, but only 85 hitters hit 258 or better in Major League Baseball last year. Only 47 batted 273 or better, which is what Pakoda projects, which is really, 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 truly impressive. All of this is to say that Say a Suzuki could come over and in short order demonstrate an ability with the bat that's like top 50 in all of Major League Baseball. And I say demonstrate that talent, right? Demonstrate is really the key word there. It's really the thing to acknowledge and not harp on, but definitely emphasize because ultimately when we say that he could demonstrate that talent, what we're saying is that he might show it. He's not going to necessarily be it through and through every at-bat, right? Like, he's not going to come over and necessarily immediately be that and immediately stay that and be that as like a, you know, not even a peak, but a flat, very high plateau. But he could still be there, and that's so exciting, like, to, to think, wow, baseball, you know, we could be getting, once baseball does come back, we could be getting a top 50 hitter just infused to the game because of Suzuki coming over from MPB. And in regard to OPS, you know, there are a lot of ways that you can get to 816 or 850. You know, if we if we take those as kind of the benchmarks for what we might be able to expect, there are a lot of ways that you could get there, right? Ty France or Javi Baez, they had the same OPS last year. Could you think of two more dramatically different players, right? Like France... Low K guy, Baez, super high K guy. Baez, super aggressive. France can get the barrel on anything, right? Baez for power. France, not so much. Two really, truly opposite sides of the coin right next to each other on the OPS leaderboard. Leaderboard. <laughs> leaderboard. Uh, and then there's also a pair like, say, Yuli Guriel or Jared Walsh. And Guriel, another guy who just gets his barrel on the ball. Incredible barrel control. He's so good at it that... Uh, Jay Jaffe has mentioned that if he spent his whole career stateside here in the U.S., he might be looking at a Hall of Fame induction very shortly, right? But we only got him after he dominated in Cuba for so long. 
So that's one way to get to, say, an 850 OPS. But Jared Walsh got there a very different way, right? Similar to Baez. Uh, lots of big power, lots of big cuts, higher strikeout rate. So you can definitely get to an 850, 810, 815 OPS in a lot of different ways. That's one of the fun things about a stat like that. While it doesn't have uh, some of the coziness of the others or some of the straightforwardness, right? Because OBP and, and slugging percentage have different denominators. So it's not as clean, right? Like, and we could look at a plus stat or we could look at Wobo, things like that. But for the purpose of this exercise and the purpose of what these projection systems ultimately spit out, what we've got here is a nice starting point to, to begin really truly considering what we could be getting as baseball fans, right? Because like, just like the site is delivering all this new information and new ways to deliver some of this information, we're getting a new baseball player who, who could be giving us a lot of fun to watch, a lot of new fun that we haven't had last year because, or the years before because he wasn't here and we didn't see him. So we have a chance for a truly unique experience in that context. So for as much as you might be able to get to OPS in numerous different ways, what's nice about it is that it ultimately does provide a setting for us to truly just appreciate the offense a player generates. They might be OBP heavy or they might be slug heavy or, you know, they might be balanced, but we can appreciate overall like, oh, wow, you know, they are really kind of pushing the envelope there offensively because if you have an 800 or better OPS, you're probably in a really good spot, right? Like that 816 projection that would put him in the top 50 hitters. You're talking probably top 70, 75 at worst for just the 800 mark. And that's still really impressive, right? Like that's, you know, there's 30 teams. There, there aren't, these are not guys who are evenly distributed between the teams. So some teams might not have any. Some teams might only have one who's a part-time player. Some teams might have a handful and maybe Suzuki comes in and he can be a bat for ultimately a team that could be really good, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but again, a lot of different ways to get to that kind of OPS Here's the really, truly most exciting part about Suzuki. He could maybe get there by being a blend of these guys and this, these pairs, right? He could be that balanced attack. France and Baez, really different games. Griel and Walsh, really different games. How much we be believe in any of them, right? Like, we know the floor could fall out on Baez. We don't know what to expect from guys like France and Walsh and follow-up campaigns. Griel has just totally spit in the face of, of aging curves. But a really balanced approach from Suzuki means that we could get, you know, 22 to 27 bombs. Maybe he's got plate discipline that pairs with it for, you know, an above average batting average. Really exciting. I don't know if I can express that enough. He's really exciting. So where does a really exciting player potentially end up? That's what we need to ask next when discussing this kind of player in this kind of context. And the reality is, of course, any team could use a player like this, right? Any team would enjoy adding an, you know, a plug-and-play 800 OPS guy who might be able to hand handle center field in a pinch, who has had gold gloves internationally, who could follow into or fall into a corner outfield spot really nicely. Of course, any team could use that. But as far as Suzuki is concerned, the usual suspects are involved here. Coastal teams like the Giants, the Mariners the Padres, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and all of them have potentially varying degrees of need or use for a player like Suzuki. The Red Sox, 
I think you could say have a distinct need in the outfield. Right now they have Jaron Duran and Jackie Bradley Jr. slotted in as starters. Bradley had like I think the the lowest qualifying batting average uh, among outfielders last year. And Duran, there was a lot of hype around him or maybe not hype but excitement, let's say. Uh, when he first debuted last year, and this is maybe a fantasy perspective too for fantasy baseball, but the idea that he could come in, he might have some pop, he could have some steals. You don't get that in the middle of the year. You don't usually see that player pop up on waivers for free or you know a fab bid. You don't see it. And he was really playing well in the minors. And uh, there were concerns about his swing path and how he had tapped into some power and how he had done that with kind of this... Uh, maybe more extreme or uh, emphasized uppercut type swing. Uh, notice that I'm avoiding saying the launch angle swing because I don't know that that's quite it. Maybe that's what he was going for. But the bottom line is that in this particular context for this particular player in Jaron Duran, his approach led to a lot more whiffs, right? And that's always like the the go-to kind of stale argument against the quote-unquote launch angle swing. Which is really just to say, you know, that launch angle swing, if you hear that on a broadcast, it's really just discussing more really that a player is trying to meet the ball at an angle that's advantageous to them, right? On a plane that's advantageous to them. It worked for Duran. It did. It truly did. He was able to have some success because he did work his way through the minors to the major leagues, which is in in and of itself an accomplishment. But it does come with potential consequences, and and pitching at each level is better and better, and that's why when he came up to the majors from having a 23% strikeout rate, he was almost at 36% across his 33-game cup of coffee with the Red Sox. Uh, He did manage two steals, but, you know, with a walk rate below 4%, that's that's like Javi Baez territory without Javi Baez results, so it's it's tough to maybe bank on that player. He is only 24. Uh, He played last year at 24. He'll play this year at 25. He could still grow. But do the Red Sox maybe see themselves doing that? Do they see themselves jumping into the fray financially for a guy like Suzuki, who MLB Trade Rumors has projected to make about $55 million over five years? Not a ton of money. Do the Sox want to go there? I don't know. I think there's a fit, though. Uh, In terms of the other fits, along with Suzuki and where he might most reasonably end up. We could consider teams like uh, the Padres who could have a vacancy because right now they have Nomar Mazzara coming in on a non-roster invitee invitation for camp uh, whenever that happens. And, you know, to consider that, that's really looking at a lot of things here. Like Nomar Mazzara has really not done well. (laughs) I mean, he's made a major league career to this point, right? But he didn't work out in Texas. Didn't work out with the White Sox in 2020. Did not work out with the Tigers in 2021. So that's why a guy like him has a non-roster invitee, right? Like this is total open commitment. And which is to say it's not really a commitment at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he got into 92 games over the last two seasons, which is really to say the last, you know, of course, every 2020 mention has an asterisk when it comes to the season. 92 games total. Four homers. He had a 27% strikeout rate. He slashed 219, 285, 309. Is this really who the Padres in their retooling want to lean on? Because they've got options. They've got Kim and Cronenworth who have played some outfield, but clearly they maybe want to focus on them elsewhere, keep uh, Cronenworth on the infields, uh, Kim as that super sub. Uh, 
that seems like it could make a lot of sense in terms of where Suzuki could ultimately end up because really the Padres, the way they fell off was just like historic, right? You're talking like, I mean, what comes to mind is like those 07 Mets. So Mets fan friends, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize for, uh, you know, picking that scab or poking at that scar tissue. But that collapse was historic, right? And the way that the Padres collapsed was the same way. They had a, a playoff percentage expe- expectation of like 90 plus percent and they didn't make the playoffs. That's remarkable. So a splash like Suzuki, where it's a more consistent bat and, you know, somebody, again, that's plug and play that might take a lot of stress off the development of a guy like Kim or might take a lot of stress off the repeat of a guy like Cronenworth, who really squeezed everything out of the value that he provided last year with what he did on the field. He was not like, you know, overly qualified or or blasting a ton of homers. He slashed 266, 340, 460. He threw in 21 homers, 94 runs atop their lineup, struck out only 14%, right? But to repeat, that that can be really tough. For those all-around guys who are all-around good and don't really have the weaknesses in their game without necessarily enough power, I know I'm realizing I'm describing uh, Cronenworth in a way similar to Suzuki, but I think Suzuki is a, a slight cut above. So when you're a cut below, like Cronenworth is, you might need everything to go well to keep being that good. And uh, even then, you know, Suzuki's a good player and they have an outfield spot like that. Why not? Why wouldn't you be looking at him if you're the Padres, right? In terms of uh, additional teams, the Giants, I think, are another really good option here because they are so lefty heavy. And speaking of things going right, I mean, they had everything go right for them last year, right? 107 wins. And you did that with a struggling Mike Yastrzemski who did not adjust well to being thrown more off-speed stuff uh, with an aging core of Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford and incredible seasons TC and I covered with uh, with Buster Posey and Darren Ruff and Evan Longoria still somehow around and contributing in some capacity. Steven Duggar is right now slated to be their starting center fielder. They'll, of course, of course, platoon. They've got Wilmer Flores and Tyro Estrada and Austin Slater. But for a team that doesn't have any star power, that had everything break right last year to really get where they were, the regression could be coming, and they might be good at piecing together these platoons. They might have a leg up in terms of player development. But I don't know if you bank on that getting you 100 wins every year. And when the Dodgers are in your division... And the wild card, as it stands, currently constituted, is precarious. Is that really what you want to bet on when you have an emerging ace like Logan Webb and a really solid rotation behind them, even down to their fifth starter, who could be exciting, and Tyler Beatty, who was really developing well before he needed Tommy John a couple of years ago, and now he could be back, right? Lots of questions there across the Giants lineup that we'd really want to examine that I think would make... Suzuki, a great fit out there. Uh, They are lefty heavy, yes, but when you can get a starter of that caliber who would instantly be better and an upgrade over so many guys that you're plugging in and trying to squeeze the most out of by platoon rates, yeah, that seems like a bit of a no-brainer if you can make 
Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. The money work. In terms of the other teams who could be pursuing Suzuki or who might see them, you know, you might see their names pop up in the We've got, of course, like I was saying, typical suitors, the Yankees, the Mariners. Those teams would have to ultimately juggle their roster a little bit, I think, right? Like the Mariners jump out. I think, you know, like you have the, the Ichiro connection in, in those terms. You've got... Uh, a history with uh, players from Japan. Um, they they just had. Um, oh my goodness. Oh, the the it's it's a real Monday's being a real Monday right now. I can't remember anybody. Um, you can hear me typing, and those are basically the logs in my brain uh, jumping away and catching fire. You say Kikuchi. Right, he was just over there. Uh, he won't be there in Seattle anymore. But again, Seattle has a history with Japanese players that they would really have to balance the roster right now because their outfield has Kelnick in center, has Mitch Haniger in right, Jake Fraley slated to start and left. But you've got Julio Rodriguez, arguably the best prospect in all of baseball right now, knocking on the door, and you want to give these guys some runway, right? Like maybe you give them, ease them in a little bit, but it's. It's hard to ease players in and get them adjusted to Major League life and and get them adjusted to the struggles and their first or second adjustments they might need to make when you have and commit to a player like Suzuki who would need the outfield spot. Or like if you don't, you know, you plug him in as a DH, like you're kind of wasting some of his defensive talent and some of the reason you would have signed him. And where's the appeal then, right? If you're not ultimately getting the most out of him and you're maybe not getting the most out of some of your other players as quickly as you could, especially the younger ones, what happens? So, I don't know. I mean, Mitch Hanniger, how long is he for Seattle? Again, given the context of having Kelnick, of having Rodriguez, uh, of having the prospect of a, a guy like Suzuki, who if he wants to play there, maybe they find a way to make it work. Uh, and, and again, they, they've got guys that could bounce around. Abraham Toro is going to be rumored. Uh, he's rumored to be getting some outfield reps whenever this camp starts this year, right? Uh, because he could be a super sub role for them this coming season. Um they acquired Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier has played some outfield. So, of course, like, there are only so many at-bats to go around and only so many positions on the field. So while the Mariners might make sense in one way, they might not in a bunch of others. And that, that could be something to really be mindful of when we see the headlines, when we see things heat up, when we see the hot stove thaw a little bit. Once the lockout does end and there is a new CBA and things in the game are flowing once more. 
it's pretty similar for the Yankees, right? Like you've got an outfield consisting of Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo uh, and Aaron Hicks. I mean, knock on wood, cross your fingers, make a salt circle that he would be healthy enough to play more than like seven games. But he's there, and Stanton will squeeze into the outfield, I'm sure, a couple of times this year. Again, a matter of where do you put him on a regular basis, uh, although you know it's a really righty-heavy lineup, and you think, oh, he's got pull power, and you've got the short left-field fence, you've got the left-field fence that's similar in Boston, like it could be a real big asset. I think it makes a little more sense for the Yankees to consider Suzuki and maybe get creative with center field maybe he plays there for a little bit maybe they put gallo back out there for a little bit um but again what do you do with hicks who's signed what do you do with gallo who is signed and making some money this year and judge obviously not going anywhere you would have to find a way to make it fit and um the yankees they they are really good in terms of plate discipline and power right like barrel rates and retreat they're at the top of the league in terms of offense, and their their hitters know what to do. And a hitter like Suzuki might plug and play real nice in that place, but you might ultimately also have to uh, wrangle things. You might have to shake them up. It might be kind of etch a sketchy to to shake it a little bit to make the new picture that you want. If the Yankees go and sign a player like Suzuki in this off season, so where are we ultimately on Seiya Suzuki? One final note we might want to consider is how, well, we don't know how a player coming over would immediately adjust to MLB. There might be an adjustment curve. Does a competitive team want to do that or afford itself that or afford him that? I hear all of those things. Uh, Again, I think he's a cut above, especially given recent imports, right? Like we know that guys have struggled, but he does seem to be a cut above some of them in terms of skill set, in terms of track record, right? He's 27. He is, uh, so he's, he's older than a Hassan Kim when he came over. He's a little younger than Yoshi Tsutsugo when he came over. Again, KBO and MPB there. Um, Kim still provided defensive value as he struggled at the plate with the Padres last year. And there were concerns about how he would hit fastballs in the major leagues because the average velocity in the KBO is around 90 miles an hour. Uh, and I believe it's similar or not too far off in NPB. Uh, Tsutsugo had the same concern uh, although uh, Kaz Yamazaki uh, at BP ultimately had a really good write-up on him when he signed with the Rays a couple of years ago uh, and saying that he doesn't have, you know, he can he can hit the fastball. If he makes the adjustments, he'll, he'll be a great hitter. He has great power. And Sutsuko is somebody who's become a kind of a sleeper darling in the fantasy context this winter. Uh, he ultimately, because he, you know, he's getting billed as somebody who got to Pittsburgh and got better, which is, you know, lovingly ironic. And he did it by, you know, cutting down strikeouts, getting better with his eye at the plate, which those things happen. But what really happened is he started to be able to hit 94 and above better. Go and check that out. You can see how much better he did. I actually wrote that up a little bit ago, a couple of weeks ago at BP. Yes, the plate discipline was better, but ultimately it was a matter of making improvements on catch and fastballs and really being able to get into the power that he has. Maybe Kim makes a similar adjustment. He didn't have the track record. I mean, Tsutsuko was great. He had he was a he was like your typical lefty slugging guy his whole career, international and otherwise. Kim only added the power 
over the shortened season, which wasn't as shortened in the KBO in 2020. So when he came over, the projections, I remember the Zips projections on him were wild, like very optimistic, and he didn't hit them, right? That's that's a possibility. But again, he still provided some defensive value. He's still young enough where he can make a couple of adjustments. Sutsuko appears to have done that. And that's what these players could do, right? You sign a guy like Suzuki for five years, you're not looking at the first three months as critical in terms of determining the value he's going to provide to your team. You have a plan for him from the time he comes in, probably to at least the middle of the contract. And if you're a good org, probably to the end of the contract or when you see him leaving the organization. So you're ready for those things. And while, again, he might need to make some adjustments, he could come over and show top 50 bat profile, which is just so exciting. Now, I told you we would be getting to the labor update and we are. The biggest news is that the league pursued mediation and decided that they would not be countering the union's most recent proposal after just a couple of days prior saying that, hey, we would counter your proposal. Well, they didn't. And they went to mediation, which is a federal escalation uh, of the labor conflict. It's really a PR show uh, because the players had a legal choice to not accept mediation. You get offered it. You don't need to accept it just like anything else or, or lots of other things in, in life, right? And the players exercised that legal choice, mostly because they didn't have anything uh, to really gain by it. That would be why it's a PR gambit by the league and the owners. Ultimately, if the players reject, then they look unreasonable. Uh, you know, they, they if they accept, then they get the concessions they want. But the players aren't pursuing anything unreasonable. They're not pursuing a reshaping and a reconstitution of the game. They really are truly just trying to pay players a little sooner because they're not getting paid later in free agency. They're trying to end service time manipulation and they really just want, you know, an approachable field where more teams are trying to win. That sounds like really basic stuff, really ultimately like baseline stuff, like things you just would assume you would need for a, a professional sports league or uh, you know, a, a beer league softball team, like you need those things. And that's why this labor issue right now is really a unique situation. This is the first instance instance in negotiations for the CBA that the players have had a public voice by means of social media. A bunch of players have been exercising that voice recently, and I think it's great. It's really good to see. I think just in a general labor sense, the way that the more that the people who are involved from the labor side looking for better um, circumstances for their work, the more they can get their voice out there, the better. And that's really, really tough because a lot of the times the other institution that they're really ultimately arguing with, fighting against, trying to hash something out with, controls the media or controls the narrative around it based on reporting. So players have taken to social media and one player in particular stands out with his message. Max Scherzer tweeted that we didn't accept mediation because what we want is really simple and really you know fair, basically. He said that we want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps. That would be referencing the CBT. Um, that allows younger players to realize more of their market value. That mean players not getting jerked around on service time or shuttled between the majors and minors and losing money each time it happens because they're not making the money the same way that they would be if they're on the major league roster. And Scherzer says they want to eliminate tanking as a winning strategy. 
this is the Cubs. This is the Astros. This is what the Pirates have slowly been attempting in terms of just gathering a ton of talent. This is what the Red Sox turned to a little bit. I mean, they, they had a great season last year. It went really well for them. But again, you, you shipped off Mookie Betts in the name of money, in the name of finances. Why are they incentivized to do that? That's really the kind of thing Scherzer's getting at. So again, a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, where younger players can realize more of their market value because, uh, like we talked last episode with the Travis Sautrick tweet, you know, the, the cheapest players providing the most value while making the least amount of money less than 10% of all money while providing, I think, 53% of all service days, uh, something along those lines. And they want teams to compete. They want more teams interested. The more teams that are interested, the better it is for the players. Really, truly, the better it is, I think, for the overall health of the game. I, I can't imagine where less teams being competitive is good for anybody but the owners in terms of business because they're making the same money anyway. Uh, with the way things are currently constituted. So again, lots of players are exercising their voice on social media, which is a great, great thing in this context. It's the first time we're seeing players use it to their advantage, and we hope it works out well because right now it looks like we're going to miss games. That looks like a reality. Spring training should be starting in about a week. It will not be starting in about a week. That puts the season and regular season games at stake, but remember back to last week again. Labor conflict is progress, and it might not feel good now, But I promise, every day, right now, we are still getting closer to new, fresh baseball. And that's exciting. So, thank you once more for listening. You can find us online at BreakingPodPL. You can find me at Tim Jackson Says. You can find TC at T-C-Z-E-N-C-K-A. You can find him uh, at MLBTR. You can find us both kicking around Discord here and there. You can find me at Baseball Prospectus. I'm doing the State of the Position series right now in addition to uh, what the staff, you know, the team is doing in terms of uh, position players to target or avoid or so on. Uh, State of the Position series has been really fun. I am creating a sax solo of the position in in the vein of John Hegland's uh, State of the State (laughs) of the Position, which was really funny and GIF of the position and so on. So, uh, So far, I can tell you that First baseman were represented by David Bowie's uh, Modern Love. And we, you know, th- this week with third baseman, we had uh, Katy Perry and Last Friday Night, uh, which is just a blast. Uh, second base was Jazz We've Got by A Tribe Called Quest. And the reasons are all there. I'm going to keep linking to them on Twitter. So again, th- that's at Tim Jackson Says. Uh, if you could rate and review us five stars, leave a kind comment. It does so, so much for us. Uh, And really, it just gives us more chances to ultimately spend more time with you, uh, which we really appreciate. And in the meantime, until next time, we hope you have the best week ever, everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.